Okay, good evening and welcome once again. We are in the marriage module, and this evening we're talking specifically about parenting. We've got a very special friend of ours, Pastor Zach Dietrich from Soteria Church down in Des Moines. And actually, Zach was just telling me that he used to work just about a mile up the road here on Aura Labor, so my goodness, he's like one of us now, okay? Uh, actually, we, we are pastor friends, and our churches are friends, and we need each other, don't we? Sometimes we don't get that sense, but uh, tonight we've got Zach here from Soteria. He's going to bless us, and would you bless him as we just welcome Zach Dietrich. Thanks so much for letting me be here tonight. I am thankful for Sailorville, and one of my uh, passions, as a, apart from the topic of tonight, is to fostering interdependence between our churches. And so one of the things that uh, I do with groups and even the, the classes that I lead is regularly pray for other ministries. And so we pray for your church, we pray for your outreach, uh, we pray for your pastors, and we're very thankful for you. I'm in particular thankful for uh, your church. I mean, the timeline's a little bit off, of, um, but as, as, you think, as I think about parenting, um, I'm only able to have a Christian home and a Christian wife because uh, of people at Sailorville. Um, my in-laws used to say that my wife, Leah, who's here with me tonight, started out, I don't know if I was going to tell this or not, so she doesn't know what I'm going to say, um, that they started out pretty rough for the first six years of their life, uh, of her life, and so they, we've been catching up ever since then, but um, she, was, she was not raised in a Christian home until one day when she was six years old, a guy named Chuck uh, 32 years ago or so knocked on her door and said, hey, can I share the gospel with you? And so, yes, I'm thankful for um, the, the ministry uh, of Sailorville and have a, a lot of friends and family who attend here as well. Uh, so let's, let's talk about um, parenting tonight. I have two challenges as we get into this topic. Uh, one is, the first one is that there's so much that we could talk about, right? There's, we could talk about instruction and discipline and the topics of boys and girls and, and teaching children how to spend their money and how to solve conflict. And then when they get into the dating relationships and all these different things, uh, we can't do any of them justice, right? So there's just so many issues that we could talk about. And the second uh, issue is that I'm really not that old. My kids are 12, 10, 7, 5, and 5. And so that means that uh, we are just in the thick of it right now. And uh, we, yeah, we're just sometimes in survival mode. So I'm a little bit cautious to teach about family uh, because of that. I don't want to presume uh, to, to, to be any kind of expert. So rather than giving a long list of to-dos, and rather than setting the bar ridiculously high for what parenting looks like, instead I want to call you and to call our families to invest in the little ways that God can use uh, for our family and uh, to grow them. Uh, God gives us good gifts, and as parents, I just want to invest in them. And what can we do this week with our children to develop a culture that will bear fruit in the coming decades? Uh, too often, I, 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 when I think of parenting, too often I think too much, our, too much of our parenting is driven by an immediate crisis. Like, uh, we have to put out the fight. Quit pinching your sister, right? All the dumb things we've said in the last uh, few hours. Practice your piano, clean your room, do your homework, and do it all with a really good attitude. Get ready for church. It's time to, get, it's time to go. And so we find ourselves always in this, this moment of, of these crisis moments trying to figure out parenting. But instead, I think there are things we need to do to parent for a lifetime and not just for tomorrow. There are things that we need to do to build a culture into our home. So what's the culture like in your home? What, what's that unspoken feel uh, that, that defines the priorities and the culture of your home? And so that's what I want to talk about just in these next uh, few minutes is creating a family culture in your home that reaches into the next decades. And specifically, and I couldn't come up with a, a, a creative title, it's just not my thing, um, but to to fill your homes with Scripture, to, and specifically to saturate your homes with the book of Psalms. And so what I want to do is just over the next few minutes, uh, give you four reasons why we should saturate our families with the book of Psalms, and then talk very practically about what that could look like. So what do I mean? Why, why, should, why is the book of Psalms so important, and why do, we, why do we not think about that for our own parenting? I'll just give you a couple of reasons here. One, one is 
that the book of Psalms identifies us as worshipers. So who are we at our most basic being? What's our ultimate aim in life? Our ultimate aim in life is to worship God. We are all worshipers of something, and that's what our aim is in parenting as well, not just to create little robots who obey, but to recognize that our goal is to lead them to worship. Uh, Ted Tripp, uh, parenting author, says this, children are instinctively worshipers. They are glory givers. It isn't a conscious decision on their part. They are hardwired for worship. So in other words, they will worship sports, or they will worship Legos, or they will worship pop stars, or they will worship their bodies, or they will worship their friends, but they will worship. And, the, and our job as parents is to call them into the worship of the one true God. And God gives us an entire book of the Bible, Psalms, 150 songs, to teach us how to worship. Uh, so using Psalms rightly, uh, rightly positions our children in their truest identity as worshipers. So Ted Tripp goes on to say this, your children are trying to satisfy their appetites and lesser joys. You and I do it too. Have you found yourself tired and out of sorts, feeling on edge, standing at, an, at the open refrigerator door? What are you doing? You've already eaten. This is totally me. Uh, what are you doing? You've already eaten. You are looking for comfort in some leftover fried chicken or a bowl of ice cream. Your children are casting about looking for something to take the edge off of their restlessness. Oh, that we would live in light of God's glorious presence. This is so important because, again, it reminds us that our ultimate goal as parents is not just obedience, external, but worship. Psalm 51 says, for you, will not, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Song, so the Psalms then are songs that teach us and call us into worship. They teach us how to praise and how to pray. And this reminds us of a very important truth when it comes to parenting. A window into what we worship is our habits. If you stare at your phone for hours on end mindlessly, you are communicating what to your children, to your children, what is the most important. And our children aren't idiots. They, they can see what we worship. But if you delight yourself in the word, then uh, you, you, we may, they may not see that, or you may not see immediate fruit of that, but your children will see that, and God can use that in your life as you are in the process of worshiping God. They will see that, and that can impact them over a lifetime. One of my friends who went through a very low time has told me uh, uh, time and time again about how uh, one of the most the impactful things on his life was every day seeing his dad make the Word of God a priority. And, and even when he was far from God, that haunted him and eventually called him back to the Lord. So the Psalms, uh, the Psalms are important because they identify us as worshipers, but they also teach us the character of God. The Psalms are full of the attributes of God. And so what was it that we want to communicate to our kids? Most of all, I want to communicate that God is not boring. God is not just a stodgy old man. He is not a boring God. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Again, Tripp says this, point your children to God as the fountain of deepest pleasure. In his presence are eternal pleasures, the greatest beauty, the highest value, the deepest satisfaction, the longest lasting joy, the most satisfying delights, the most wonderful friendship. Eternal pleasures are found in God. And we could just go through lists of the attributes of God that are found in the Psalms. God's righteousness and God's faithfulness. So this last week I was in Colorado with some friends for, for work, and we had just three or four long days of meetings, and uh, one day we snuck away and we went skiing. I should say the rest of the staff went skiing because I haven't been skiing for over 25 years, and that was in Montezuma, and so that wasn't really skiing at all. And they had the idea that we would go up this fairly like medium um, slope at first, and they're like, you'll figure it out on your way out, down. And after I'd fallen five times, it's like, nope, I'm not going to figure it out. And uh, so even though I couldn't ski, and it, man, <laughs> I'm still in pain from some of it, uh, even though I, I couldn't ski, what I could do is look up and see the beauty of the creation of the, the majestic mountains. Everywhere I look, there's 12,000 feet of God's righteousness being demonstrated around me. And I believe that, I, I don't know about you, just 
I think sometimes we invert the way we understand creation. We think that God made creation, and He's like, oh, I'm going to use mountains over there. I, I made them, and now I have a purpose. I think God created mountains so that He can teach us about His righteousness. And so, as I'm sitting out there, even though I can't ski, and I tried the bunny slopes, and I'm still, like, getting passed by two-year-olds the entire time, uh, what I can do is look up with the psalmist, and I can just delight in what, what God has done. And we, we can say, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mountains of God, your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love. And I love Psalm 36, it's just an exaltation of so many different attributes of God. And the Psalms teach us these attributes of God, that He is holy and just and righteous and all-knowing and ever-present and ever-loving and long-suffering and merciful and forgiving. And the Psalms also rightly situate those attributes of God, not just in knowledge, but in praise or in worship as well. So we get to teach our children the attributes of God, who He is, but within the context of worship. And I love this because it shows us that theology is uh, beautiful. It's poetic. It's not just stuffy information. So, the, the Psalms teach us the character of God, and the Psalms also express every emotion. Too often, we inadvertently teach our children that faith only feels one way. We, we tell them that the only way to worship God is if you're happy and you're, if you happen, you know it, and you clap your hands, right? But that's, what, that's the way faith feels. Faith is always happy, uh, but the psalmists invite us to express every kind of emotion in our worship. There's a way to worship God in the midst of pain and suffering and depression and fear and in sorrow. And we want to bring our kids and raise our kids to understand how to worship God in not just one moment and one emotion, but in the whole spectrum and the whole rainbow of emotions that God has given us. Ed Welch says this, faith feels different, many different ways. It can be buoyant, it can be depressed and lifeless. Feelings don't define faith. Instead, faith is simply turning to the Lord. When you speak the Psalms, you are doing faith. And remember that faith is the work of the Spirit, and the Spirit uh, of God in our hearts. As such, if you can speak the Psalms, God is near. And so, we ought to fill our parenting with the language of the Psalms so that they can have the words to speak to God in, in any situation, or any emotion, or any experience that they face. So, for example, when your daughter is tempted to envy the success of the wicked around her and she thinks that trusting Christ provides her no social benefit, she needs to have the language of Psalm 73 in order to speak to God with those frustrations. And when your son is afraid, he needs the battle cry of Psalm 46 to comfort him. And when your mind feels crippled and you don't know what else to say in the midst of depression, Psalm 42 gives us words that, that we can speak to God. The church father Augustine said this, if the psalm prays, you pray. If it laments, you lament. If it exalts, you rejoice. If it hopes, you hope. If it fears, you fear. Everything written here is a mirror for us. And so we want to call our kids, and uh, the reason why we, I want to call us to use the Psalms is because they give us the language to speak to God in every experience and emotion. And too often we leave ourselves devoid or, and our children void of the words to, to use uh, to, to speak to God in the midst of life's trials, because the hard reality is that our children will suffer and they will experience trials, and we ought to prepare them how to, 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 to worship God and to call out to them by using the book of Psalms. And so, with that in mind, the book of Psalms also shapes the language of our prayers. So, when we saturate our homes with prayers, we're, we are giving them the language to talk to God about their things that excite them, and we, we give them the language to talk to God about their fears and their sorrows and even their sins. And as we saturate our homes with the book of Psalms, the, the goal is that we would also lead to Psalms-saturated prayers. When we don't know what to pray, God has given us 150 songs that tell us exactly what we can, we can pray. 
Again, Welch says this, and he describes hope in one of his books. He says, hope, as you find, is a skill that takes practice. There's no verse or pill or possession that will make it magically appear, and we could talk about any, any virtue in that, but reciting the Psalms that you have claimed as your own and as a part of the practice. So, Psalms teach us to, to praise and to pray. So, what does that mean? I think that we should let the Psalms more naturally shape the way we pray f- with our families. We can set aside the canned and mindless prayers that we use at bedtime or at mealtime and instead say, Lord, I'm okay with being a little bit clunky, but I want to pray your word in front of my kids, and I want to be shaped by what David and the other psalmists say. And so, I, I think one of the one of the greatest gifts that we have for parenting is, is God's Word. We don't need to make it more complicated and always be looking for some new formula. The Psalms are important because they, they identify us as worshipers, and they teach us the character of God. We get to rehearse the attributes of God, and we do that in every emotion, not just in, in happy, clappy joy, but also in the trials of life. And then they, through that, they, they give us a new language to pray. So what can, what can that look like? Uh, one of my passions in ministry is to keep moving from the theoretical to the practical. As I go through classes on a, on a weekly basis, my goal is that each week when people go home, they know something that they can do to live out their faith tomorrow, to, to be very practical and tangible. So what, what can this look like? As again, I want to call us to parent with the Psalms four decades in the future, but to do so with things that we can do tomorrow morning. So, what, what can it look like? Um, just the Psalms in practice. First of all, uh, I, I, somebody said this once, and I, I just love it. Reclaim, reclaim the kitchen table as the centerpiece of your family, and move away from the television, and move away from the phone and the iPad as the centerpiece of your family, and instead say, we are going to have a, a, a more important piece of furniture, and that's a table that we're going to gather around, and it may not be a table. You know I'm speaking somewhat metaphorically here, but, but to instead not make, not let the the phone or the TV dictate our priorities, and instead build our family around the Word. So let me invite you to my kitchen table for just a a moment. It's totally chaotic. I told you I have 12, 10, 7, she's almost 8, 5, 5, and 5. And I gave up a long time ago having any kind of expectation of normal or peace, because I'd rather have a time of joy and delight than frustration. It's like, how, why would I ever want to create an environment where it's like, we're going to read the Bible, and you got to get sit still. No, I'd rather create a time of joy. So, we'll memorize Scripture together, and I don't preach, and sometimes we pray, and we may, we may or we may not talk about, and I know for sure that somebody is probably not listening, and I'm okay with that because I, I want to create a culture of joy and celebration around the Word rather than a culture of guilt and frustration. And so I'm okay with a little bit of chaos. I'm, I'm not parenting to survive supper. I want to parent to plant God's Word deep within the heart so that the Spirit can grow fruit. So dads, just open up the Bible for three minutes. So what else can you do? Use a monthly psalm. Uh, try, try a monthly psalm. Just pick one, one psalm and read it three times a week, four times a week, and you know what? you do that for a month or just even two weeks, your kids will have that psalm memorized way faster than you will. And my kids have psalms memorized that we learned years ago that I I still don't have down. And then if you were to do that over years, just think if you were to do that six months out of the year, and you were to do that five or six or ten years, how much scripture that you never had at your disposal would your children have that the Spirit of God can use within their lives? And I, it shapes then their theology, their view of God, their, their view of emotions in the world around them. Uh, I would even say choose illustrative psalms or start with them. Psalm 1 talks about trees and chaff. Psalm 8 talks about uh, birds and, and animals. Psalm 16 has beautiful language. Psalm 42 and Psalm 46 are just rich with imagery. And so I start with the ones that I want my kids I, to anchor their souls to. And then just plant the, them deep, plant those psalms deeply within my own heart. There's no, this, I'm not trying to give you a formula. 
You know that. Like, I'm, there's no for, I'm just saying, tomorrow morning, dads, there is something you can do. Husbands, there's something you can do to create a culture that you may not see the fruits tomorrow or in a week, and it's not going to fix all the behavioral issues, but God can use that over a lifetime. So I'm not trying to create a formula here. I'm simply trying to call us to take simple steps of, steps of faith and plant to have a plan to plant the Word of God deep within the hearts, our own hearts, and within our children's hearts so that God can bear fruit in His time. And by the way, this doesn't have to just be done with the Psalms, right? You could do this with the Proverbs or with uh, Paul's epistles or just with anything, but I'm just trying to take away the excuses so that tomorrow morning you can't say, I don't know what to do. Uh, invest in the book of Psalms so you can teach them how to praise and how to pray. Let's pray. Father, we praise you right now because your steadfast love endures forever. You are uh, an amazing God, and when we look around this world, the creation reminds us so much of what uh, who you are. So help us to look at the clouds and the mountains and the trees and see the rich truths that, that are there, that you are, you are unchanging. Uh, your promises are sure. And Father, I pray, uh, I pray for... Uh, my friends here and for them and their marriages and their parenting. Help us to, we confess the, the silly excuses uh, that we make, and we, we confess, Father, that uh, we often look to so many lesser things uh, than your word when it comes to raising our families, and so now we want to trust in you. I pray that you would bear fruit in our children's lives and our lives because of the simple steps that we take by planting the word within them. We commit them to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Zach, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, and I'm um, also very upset with you uh, for convicting me uh, using God's Word, and I'm very, very thankful. <laughs> now I have to go do it, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I could talk louder. This morning and then also this evening, someone said, uh, I was walking around with Judah. He was holding my hand, and uh, someone said, you have a mini-me with you, and I just kind of laughed it off, and you've reminded me tonight that all of us, ha if we have kids, have mini-me's walking around with us, and um, what they see us doing when they wake up and we're in the living room, and what, how they hear us pray, and how they hear us talk to our friends and our spouses and other people in our home, that they're following that, and so thank you very much. Thanks for that great yeah. reminder. Hey, praise the Lord for Zach yeah. and the Word, right? Thanks. Thank you. Where do you want to be, honey? Okay, we have some more friends to introduce you to this evening, and uh, this is Trevor and Terry Mears. Trevor and Terry came into our lives this last summer, and uh, we met them at Summer Connect, actually, and maybe Trevor will talk about that a little bit later, but came to Group Connect and then ended up in our cell group. So I know the guy that does the cell group thing, and so we, we uh, <laughs> asked them to be in our group, and they're some of our very best friends. We very much appreciate how God has brought them into our lives and what he's already taught us um, about him and about ourselves through Trevor and Terry. But uh, Trevor and Terry, we've asked you to just kind of share a little bit about what it's like to parent, and you've got two kids, and you'll tell us a little bit about them, but uh, tell us about yourselves, how you met, and how you met Christ, and then maybe just a little bit about your two girls. There, we yeah, go. there you go. Well, we are both from Lincoln, Nebraska, and we grew up, uh, I'll start with myself. I grew up in a Christian home, so it was a Bible teaching home, as a Bible teaching church, so I was exposed to the gospel my entire life, so I uh, prayed a prayer of salvation when I was five, and I felt like it really began to sink with me, and I understand it when I was about eight years old, and then as I grew up and got into my early teens is when I really began to understand what it meant to live a life dedicated to Christ rather than simply following a lot of rules. And that was the time when I really dove deeply into apologetics and church service and really began to make it um, an integral part of my life. And Terry, I'll let her tell her testimony story, but we met, uh, we went to the same church and uh, we were a few years apart, so we really started dating in college, but we, we met each other in church. Um, I didn't grow up for the first part of my um, life going to church, but um, a friend invited me to an after-school Bible club, and I heard the gospel there, and 
Um, the friend's mom gave me a gospel tract, and I prayed and accepted Christ um, through that. And then um, my parents started um, going to church a couple years after that, and they accepted Christ. And so then we ended up at the same church together and same Christian school. Um, I, I tried to read the Bible, tried to live for Christ, but I was trying to do it in my own strength. And um, it wasn't until probably my 20s that um, I started relying on um, the Holy Spirit to change me and reading my Bible and praying and that I really um, knew what I believed and um, knew that I wanted to live for Christ then. Okay, so two girls, right? Tell us, tell us what it's like then as a husband and a wife, parents, dad and mom, to work together as a team. You've got two girls and they're both very different and you two are also very different and you need to work together as a team. So uh, how do you do that? What are some keys maybe to some of our uh, parents here that have a, a husband and a wife in the home as parents? What are some keys to, to parenting as a team? Sure, I'll start off. Our two daughters, uh, Allison is uh, going to be 18 here in about three weeks and uh, we'll be heading off to college this fall. She's going to the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. Um, so we're excited about that. And then our uh, second daughter is Katie. She's 16, and she's got special needs. She's part of the Rise Up ministry, which I think we'll talk about that in some more detail later on. So yeah, the very different situations with the two of them. Uh, as far as working together, I mean, I think what we've learned, and, and I feel like I should preface, obviously, whenever you start talking about marriage, I mean, I think it was said really well already tonight that we're all learning together, and it's a process that never ends. Uh, one of my favorite authors uh, wrote a memoir about his family, and he said his dad told him, maybe someday you can write a book about our family, so then you'll understand what happened and why. Hmm. And I kind of feel like I'm just now at that point of saying, okay, maybe I can start to digest the fact that we have one about to go to college, kind of what have we learned through that process. But as far as working together, I think one of the things we've learned is the importance of just being on the same page, making sure the two of you are, are approaching it the same way. And that doesn't mean that automatically happens every day. There may be times when you have a difference of opinion about how you should be approaching a situation, like what is uh, the best path for, the, for your child on this particular issue, or if they've done something wrong and you're trying to determine what is a adequate way for them to feel the pain of what they've done wrong. And sometimes you have different approaches to that. So I think we've learned over the years it's important to present a unified front on that. And that your, you know, kids, we all know, they're, they're very good at sniffing out. If there's a rift between mom and dad, that's a, that's a crack that can stick that crowbar <laughs> into and lever, right? They can use it to their advantage. And we all know the trick of, you know, well, mom will say no to ice cream, so I'll always ask dad if we can go for ice cream. Not that that's ever happened in our house. But we all have those things. Dad always says yes to ice cream right? in my house. It's well, ever, pretty easy. All the time. <laughs> um, and so it, I think it's key that you... If you have a point where you feel like you're starting to see things differently, go and get that straightened out. I mean, it's not a problem to tell your kid, hey, we're going to get back to you on this. Give us a minute, mm -hmm. and we're going to go talk about it. I think it's, it's easy in a lot of situations in life. I feel like we have to answer right now, and a lot of times you don't. A lot of times you can take a minute, go talk about it, or take a day, whatever it is. I mean, as our kids have gotten older, as um, our oldest, um, you know, being in high school, there's been times like, you know what, we're going to get back to you in the morning on this one. Hmm. Because sometimes it gets more complicated as they get older. And you say, we're going to think about what we want to go forward on this particular situation. Yeah. Well, I guess I would add that um, also we've tried to, our rules at our house, we've always tried to bring it back to what does scripture say about this? What does God say about this? Rather than this is just this way because we decided, you know. So um, that makes it a lot easier to be on the same page because we know that we're both headed in the same direction wanting to point our kids to Christ. So sometimes <clears throat> we're just in the middle of this. Sometimes um, there are certain times where I get along with Judah better. We have a connection. Or he'll come to me and confess something that he doesn't want Jason to know. So I'm sure that that happens in your family as well. <laughs> How do you convey the fact that you are a team when you're not always in the same room together having the conversation? How do you let your girls know that mom and dad are one, or we are going to go talk about this together, but how do you convey continually we are together on this, even when you're not present in the same room? Yeah. Um, well, I guess I would just say that you just have to, you have to model that, and you have to, if you say it, and then you follow up, and you stick to it, and you're always are modeling that. I'm, we're on the same page. We're a team. 
and we're not going, the child isn't going to pit me against him or him against me. So um, it, you just have to stay consistent with that. And then also, you know, there are some times we've talked about that um, Trevor can say something, um, the, uh, talk about an issue with our oldest daughter, and I can talk to her about it, and she hears something totally different from him because they learn the same, and they hear things the same, and they process things the same, whereas I could say the same thing, and she's like, what in the world? And so I think just you know being in tune with how does your child learn? How does your child process things? If one parent is better at that with the child, let that parent do the talking and be in the, the same room just physically showing your support, but also, you know, just when you're there, don't be the one to be like, well, actually, he's wrong about that. I mean, I think it's just consistency and, you know, being, being clued into those things, so. It's spending a lot of time, just the two of you, going over what's happened that day, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do the lot to talk about, um, so did you talk to her about this, and what did you guys talk about? Yeah. So that way we make sure we're on the same page. So when we come back tomorrow, I know what was already said. And again, we don't have this thing of, well, mom said this would be fine with her. And it's, I mean, there's plenty of texts that go back and forth during the day. But like, she told me you said that was okay. Is that correct? <laughs> or she told me she was going to do this. Does that match what you guys talked about? Um, and I think going back to the thing of how, how the, the kid might hear one parent differently than the other one, certainly not every kid's this way, but a lot of times you can see that they're an exact clone of you. Or, I mean, and again, not everyone is a clone of a parent, but sometimes they are. And with our oldest, she thinks a lot like me. So some of that comes from being married prior to her getting to the stage. So I know sometimes when we get frustrated with each other, I've learned that's because I'm thinking this way and she's not hearing it. So I can see it happening in an alley. So I'm going to say, okay, if I could just interpret for a second, I think what she's trying to say is this because we've been talking that way to each other and we've learned how to communicate. And so if I see my daughter getting frustrated or conversely her getting frustrated, Sometimes I'll just be interpreter a little bit. And, and I use an example because with her, that's what tends to happen. She thinks, tends to hear things the way I hear them. So communication between you two as parents is key, right? I, I love the reclaim the kitchen table thing, sit down at the table and, and talk as a family, but especially you two communicating with each other. So when, when your daughters aren't, um, aren't, maybe they're not getting it, you're, they're not listening, or maybe they're, not, they're just struggling to cross that line into obedience, how do you... How do you take it back to the gospel? How do you explain to them? How do you give them guidance if they're maybe not understanding right away or not even listening? Well, occasionally your kids may not do everything you want them to. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's just us. Um, maybe that's every hour. But, you know, as I was thinking about this, what do you do when you just feel like you're, you're smacking your head against the wall? Like they, they will not do this thing. They will not hear me. No matter how many times we've talked about it, they seem to keep going back to it. And if they're getting frustrated with you, right, and especially, I'm thinking in terms of a teenager, because that's what we've been living here most recently. Um, one of the things we always go back to is we talk to them about, well, I think about the fact how frustrated we all get. If we feel an authority figure is just making arbitrary rules because they're in charge, think how frustrating that is if your boss does that to you or anybody else. It's, it's very hard to follow that person. We think they're just doing this because they're in charge. And teenagers like to play that card a lot. Like, you're just doing this because you can. It's a power play. So we always talk with Allie in particular about, hey, let's just go back to why we're doing this. Understand, that goes back, I mean, Terry mentioned earlier, we're pointing back to the Bible. It's why, first of all, these rules exist. And the Bible doesn't have a rule for everything, but it does have overarching principles. So let us explain to you how we're drawing this rule from a principle of life that we're trying to follow biblically. And then also, always bring it back to God gave us a responsibility. We're doing the job God has given us. Just as we're saying God has rules for your life, he's given us rules as a parent. And he expects us to do certain things. And we would be remiss before God if we did not do our job as a parent to try and educate you biblically, to try and help you maintain the right lifestyle, and just help them understand that's why we're doing this. It's not because we wake up every day and we just love being in charge. And <laughs> finally, we're in charge. We get to demand everything we want. We're doing this because God told us to, and we have a duty to uphold. Okay, so walk us through some things that you have found, some ways that you have found to reinforce the gospel through the day with both of your girls. Um, well, I would say that um, one thing I've learned over the last couple of years is I've underestimated prayer and the importance of it. Um, just, I, I guess I, I used it as a, oh yeah, tag that onto my Bible reading, whatever, but... Um, I've, I've really made a point in the last couple of years to make that 
a huge priority and writing down specific things and recording it and seeing how God works. And then also, um, you know, just those daily things that come up saying, what does scripture say about this? What, you know, do, are you struggling with this, this sin? I mean, try to identify the sins that your kids struggle with, because I mean, we all know we have our sins that are key to us that we struggle with, and our kids have it too. So just being aware of that, what are those sins, sins that they struggle with, and trying to help them find scripture to, um, you know, to deal with that and teach them you need to bring this before God. But also, I guess a key thing, don't take for granted that they're, they've accepted Christ. I mean, don't just assume that. Ask them. I think asking those bold questions of, well, okay, you've heard this. You know, Allie's, Allie and Katie have heard this their whole life, but you can't assume that. And so just asking point blank, well, have you accepted Christ? Because we can't, accept, we can't expect them to be following Christ and acting like a Christian if they've never done that. So. Well, one of the things I've noticed, too, that I think most of us, we have a real tendency to run back to the law all the time. We've become very legalistic in our thinking. It seems to be a human trait. And what I've noticed with kids is, especially with ours, is they can have this tendency to decide their failure. They can never live up to a standard. And, well, now why bother? Right? I just can't live up to all these rules. I can't live up to all these standards. And, and that's especially, I'm sensitive to it. I grew up in a very legalistic church setting um, where it was all rules and it didn't focus on heart. So we've yeah. really tried to focus on that with our kids and you know the, the amazing thing about the gospel is it can humble you and you need to be humbled and it can lift you up when you need to be lifted up and what I've found is um, with teens here recently it's been more a matter of the lifting up part mm. and understanding and I can steal some lines that Pastor Kurt said so well to this empty room a week ago but <laughs> he talked about you know you're not what your guilt says you are you're what God says you are and that's somebody that he has chosen to redeem and the idea that before you committed your first transgression, I think uh, Kurt said something to the effect of, before you ever stepped into the court, the verdict was already rendered that you, were, you can be innocent. He has already determined I've paid that price for you before you were ever born. And that's something we've really hit hard in the last year or so, is the idea that you think you've failed, and you did, but that doesn't mean it's hopeless. And you are absolutely, it's, it's never over. He always wants you to come back and be redeemed and uh, confess those sins. So we've really turned back to the gospel part of the hope side of that. Can you, um, we talked about this the other day at your kitchen table, actually. Can you talk about the difference between parenting for behavior modification and parenting to, um, to get at the heart? What's, what's the long-term effects of either one of those, and what should we be trying to, trying to gear towards, Trevor? That's a hard one. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the trick of the whole thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? Is what do we do when, when I don't have my hand there controlling every single thing they do? And um, I saw um, a graph once that kind of showed as your children age, there were two bars. One was your authority over them, and the other one was your influence over them. And your authority continually declines as they age, but your influence hopefully is, in, is growing. And we're definitely at that stage with our oldest now. She's about to go to college, and she's going to be now pretty much free, she can do almost what she wants, right? We're not there. And now it's the time to say, okay, has the heart been built around the gospel? And is the Holy Spirit, and that's why we go back, we don't ever take for granted that somebody's saved. Like, is the Holy Spirit speaking to them? Is the Holy Spirit gonna tell them that's the wrong thing to do? You need to change your behavior. And we talk to her a lot about that. And at times when she feels guilt over something, you know that's the Holy Spirit right there, right? That is in your ear, that's, that's God speaking to you. And that means the Holy Spirit's there. Um, so that's where we've tried to focus on principles, and that's something we talk about a lot over the last 18 years is, okay, what's the balance between a rule and a principle? Yeah. And again, we have to be careful. A lot of us pendulum swing one way or the other based on how we grew up. And again, because I grew up in a very legalistic setting, my tendency was to want to lift as many rules as possible because I felt like there were too many, and I saw too many kids growing up with no heart. They just had the, that structure imposed on them, and they didn't know what to do when they got into a situation, well, if I don't have a rule for it, what do I do? Mm -hmm. So we've really tried to focus on principles and guiding your heart around scripture. Um, but at times we've had to say, you know what, no, there just needs to be a flat-out rule here. We can't just abandon that either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You talked about Katie. She's 16. She has special needs. She was in the coffee cove with us this morning, just high-fiving people and loving life. She's great. We love watching her. Um, and she's, she's a huge part of Rise Up, and Rise Up is a huge part of her life. But um, tell us what we need to know 
about how to encourage and how to interact with families that have uh, special needs kids. Help, help us know how to help families like yours. Well, I'll start off, but uh, Terry will know more about this topic than me, so then she can take over the conversation. But, um, you know, I think one of the big things is understand that a family has a kid with special needs. And when I say special needs, that's extremely broad. That yeah. can mean a thousand different things. Um, but most of the time, what that means is understand that that family feels like the spotlight is on them in every room they're in. Every restaurant you go to, every church service, every school setting, you're the family that's disrupting the norm. And that just, that becomes part of your mentality. Um, and it becomes very influential on where you go and what you do because you just feel like, oh, we're always gonna be troubling people uh, because this kid is just a handful wherever they go. And uh, I mean, today, Katie, her worst offense today was to grab a donut hole and run off with it. I'm like, well, that's okay, we can live with that one. Um, a lot of our kids did that. Yeah, right, so fortunately there were no coffee cups thrown or anything like that. Um, you know, but this afternoon it wound up with me sliding across the floor to catch a potted plant coming off the table before it hit the ground. So things like that happen. So we're saying that's the mentality coming in. So um, I think just making people feel as welcome as you can. So I'll talk about the church setting for, for a second. Um, and this is what Jason was alluding to earlier. Our, we went to uh, Summer Connect early on in our experience with Sailorville, which is to say like the first thing we went to was Summer Connect. Yeah, you did it out of order. We did. Uh, yeah. Just because we saw it was coming on the counter, we wanted to visit Sailorville. Like, well, let's go to Summer Connect. That'd be a great way to, to meet a lot of people quickly. So we went and... Um, with meeting a lot of the pastors that night, we got to talking with Jason in particular about Katie and how Rise Up was something that made us interested in Sailorville, that there was a ministry for this, partly because it was a place for her to go, but also because that says something about a church. Huh. If you're willing to have a ministry directly at people like that who are kind of on the margin, that told us a lot. Like, I bet that translates to a lot of what this church is about. So that first night, Jason, and I'll, I'll inter embarrass him for a second, but Jason introduced us to Dave Tashner. Um, and... I'm only going to talk about Dave in light of, I think, it helps to know what one individual can mean. Um, yeah. I mean, just the way Dave reached out to us, um, because we actually, we visited another church uh, in Des Moines a year or two ago, and we were actually asked not to bring Katie back, because um, she was too much trouble. And that's why I opened up by saying, we always feel like we're those people in the room. And so we came to Sailorville with trepidation, like, let's, yeah. I hope they're not going to be this kind of church again. And I hope they let us come back. And um, the very first day, we brought Kate Rise up. We sat in the back row, which I don't recommend. It's really crowded back there. But we <laughs> sat in the very back row because we were new and we didn't know what to do. And um, Dave texted me during the service pictures of Katie singing to Pastor Paul. And right away, we started saying, okay, this is going to be different. And that's been true all the way through. So um, what I would just segue into that is if you're trying to help a family with a kid with special needs, ask them what you can do that will be the best thing for their kid. It's easy to want to have a solution and say, hey, I got an idea. What if we do this with them? And you don't know because it's really complicated with these kids. Um, and that's one thing Dave and the others in Rise Up did for us. They said, I mean, they were calling during the week after the first couple of weeks saying, how'd it go? What else could we do for Katie to help her out? And I said, well, one of the things she likes to do is she likes to color. She likes balloons. She likes to have a space. We came in the next week. There's a table that said Katie's table, <laughs> labeled. And I don't know if it may be still up there. Um, and right away, it's like they're going out of their way to make us feel welcome. Yeah. 180 degrees from a church that said, your kid doesn't fit the model. Maybe you someplace else would be better for you. So that's one way to make people feel welcome. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. So tell us, sometimes it's hard for us to understand what a day looks like in the life of a family that um, doesn't fit the norm, as you said. And we want to help. We just don't know how to help. So take us through a day in the life of your family and tell us how we can help in situations like this. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, the biggest thing is she, you know, and like Trevor said, every kid with some sort of special need is different. So getting to know the family is the biggest thing. But um, like for us, um, Katie needs constant supervision because she doesn't have the um, capacity to know safety or things like that or have... Um, you know, any kind of, um, I guess, forethought to not get into certain things. So um, pretty much one of us has to be with her all the time, or if she has a caregiver, they have to be with her um, all the time. So some, you know, thankfully she'll sit at the table and eat meals with us, but then there's some times that she just decides that she doesn't, you know, she's done sitting and she's off. And so it's kind of tag team, 
somebody eats, somebody runs after her, you know, things like that. Um, she needs um, overnight um, feeding pump care. She needs pretty much all of her dressing and hygiene taken care of. Um, thankfully, she can go to school, so she loves school, and she loves being around people and riding the bus, but um, that's pretty much um, how her day goes, so we're, it, pretty much our house revolves around her, and it always has, which, you know, that in and of itself has made challenges with balancing the amount of attention with Allie and with one another, so we, you know, we have to make a conscious effort of that. I think the way that people can help is, um, you know, like Trevor said, just, just asking, you know, what you can do to help. I know that, um, We've been so thankful. God's provided respite workers for us and um, family nearby. But, um, you know, with Allie going off to college and stuff, that that is going to be a huge need. So, um, you know, those kind of things mm -hmm. are front of mind. Yep. But I guess just, um, just get to know our family and other families. And even I think about... Um, you know, have your cell group go up and volunteer and rise up because it, they, everybody is such a blessing and it is, it is a party up there. I mean, <laughs> they have the best time. But get to know the people that are in there. Um, you know, we were told when we started it that a lot of the people that come up there, they're adults and they come from group homes and this is sometimes the only interaction they have with other people all week outside of their group homes. So um, that is a ministry right there. So. You know, if you can, volunteer there. Get to know these people and build into their lives. This is, this is a really precious insight into your hearts and what it's like, just a, just a tiny little glimmer of what it's like to parent, and um, we appreciate that. I, I, it makes me think back to stories in the New Testament where children wanted to run up and talk to Jesus and be with Jesus and sit on his lap and, you know, just interact with him. And, and some of the disciples, you know, the, the real... Uh, the rules guys, in some ways, said, no, 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 he, he's important. You don't get to hang out with him right now. And Jesus said, no, actually, I want to be with the children. Uh, don't, don't dissuade. Don't push away. Don't um, let the kids come to me. And uh, can, can I just pause and say praise the Lord for Rise Up and for our children's ministry and for our youth ministry and people that are pouring into uh, the next generation of people here in this church, our kids and, and those in Rise Up, and really pouring into our lives if we have kids in that, um, in those ministries and in our youth ministry and Rise Up. So thanks for sharing that. Okay, I'm going to ask a question about, um, about uh, getting ready to send a, a kid to college, okay? Because some of us <laughs> may be in that stage, and uh, Meredith and I are going to take notes on this because Jude is five, and we've got about 12 years before this happens. So tell us how to do it. Uh, tell us how to prepare, how to prepare your hearts, how to prepare uh, Allie, who's just getting ready to go. What, what would you do more of? What would you do less of? Uh, help us. Well, right now it kind of feels like the night before final exam. <laughs> I mean, it's March, and she goes Cram. in August. <laughs> Cram, yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, okay, what haven't I said? Yeah. Right? What, is, what is that one fatherly nugget of perfect wisdom <laughs> I'm going to drop on her <laughs> that she's going to remember, and that's going to stop her from oh, doing the wrong thing? That's September, what I right? was waiting for, right? Dad. It's like, oh, if Dad hadn't said that, what would I have done? <laughs> uh, that hasn't come to me yet. So, I mean, it's really just, I've been having a lot of conversations where they're just reviewing stuff, saying, so why, why do we believe this? Can you give me a reason for why it is? And in her situation, I mean, she's going to a Christian university, so I don't think she's going to be facing the, the stereotypical atheist professor who tries to disabuse her of all of her notions. But you know, she'll be challenged in ways, for sure. And, uh, and even then, after that, four years after that, Lord willing, she graduates, then she goes into a secular career. Well, then you might get tested. So, Because um, that was something I didn't grow up with people asking me to give an answer for my belief. It, it was kind of a culture of, if you question this, then you must not believe it, as opposed to testing your faith and knowing the reasons, which is biblical, but it wasn't taught that way. So we've been talking about that a lot. Um, it just, why does she believe what she does? Um, do you believe these things? Do you see God working in your life? We're trying to have those conversations. Like, can you see now, um, now that you're 18, you've got a little bit of history that you could start to see a pattern of God doing things in your lives, and even just some things that God has brought into our life in the last, honestly, 
couple things in the last two weeks just to say, hey, do you see that? Do you see how that ties back to something that happened a decade ago? We can start to see the parts weaving together. And really, we've looked at, I started off talking about the story of our lives. We look at the story of our lives a lot to see what has God been trying to make out of this. And even we talk a lot about what would we be if it weren't for Katie? Hmm. Who would we be if we didn't have her in our lives? And I can say we'd be vastly different people. And it's made us more caring. It's made me far more noticing of, like you were talking about Jesus and bring the little ones to me. I mean, I noticed the people at the margins that I didn't notice before. And it's made me more empathetic. And so we talk a lot about that. And Allie actually wants to be a special ed teacher. And um, (laughs) I mean, that's something we worried a lot about growing up. Is she gonna be bitter about this? Is she gonna look back and say, I was robbed of a lot of things I would have gotten to do if it hadn't been for my sister? And it's 100% opposite of that. Um, My biggest concern is, is she going to bail on us in August because she doesn't want to leave her sister behind? And um, she asked me the other day, we call Katie Booga is her name at home. She said, can Boog come to college with me? I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you're only three and a half hours away if we drive a little fast. So we can bring her up to visit you. Um, But it's it's made her have a heart for what we've noticed about her is – throughout, even in elementary school, she would find the kid in the room nobody was talking to, and she'd go talk to that kid. And that wouldn't be the case, I don't think, if it hadn't been for her sister. So that's one other thing I would say as your kids are growing up, start to notice what are their proclivities, because I've tried to help as Allie's tried to pick a major in college, what should that be? And I've always told her, I'm not gonna tell you what to major in, but I will tell you if it sounds like something that doesn't seem like you. Mm -hmm. And she looked into like a business major, and I'm like, you'd make more money than a special ed teacher, but I don't think that's you. And when she landed on special ed, I'm like, that's it. Yeah. That's you. I mean, I've seen it, seen you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to close with something, Terry? I just um, would add to that. Just start praying now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I had a, one of Allie's administrators um, when she was in school at Grandview Park Baptist, she has a son with special needs and she told me now, you start praying for your kids every single day. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should, I should do that and everything like that. But it's like now when I'm on the end of that, I'm like, oh, I should have done it so much more. So yeah. you can't do it enough. Yeah. Last thing I'll throw in, I said we got 29 seconds on the clock. Um, it's having a timer is quite a new experience for me. But, um, <laughs> make sure, I mean, you, I think just echo the message we heard before we started here. Make it part of your family's life. It is, it's your job as a parent to instill scripture in your kids. And it's easy when you have a great church like Sailorville, where there's great teaching going on with the kids and the youth group. It's easy to over rely on the professionals, so to speak, to teach your kids the Bible and instill it in them. And as great as your youth pastors and kids ministry might be, it's not their job. They're there to support you, but you have to make it the priority. Don't, don't subcontract your parenting to your youth pastor. Um, make it a priority in your home. Amen. Amen. Very cool. I've been struck tonight by um, the necessity to spend intentional time as a family, whatever your family looks like, and have that time be primarily around the Word of God, whatever that looks like. And then I've also been struck by the fact that uh, no family looks normal. There is no such thing as normal. And so whatever kind of family God has given you, make the most of that. God has given you that family intentionally to help you be more like Jesus and to help your family be more like Jesus. So whether you're a single parent or a husband and wife parenting a, a daughter with special needs or you have a teenager and none of them are normal, so we all, we all get that. Or... You have a five-year-old that's addicted to video games. Whatever your, hypothetically, whatever your, every family happens to look like, we are all broken people, right? And God knows that and designed it like that so that we would rely on him. You need to pray so people can go be with their families. That's right. That's right. This is why, this is why we're together. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much. Thanks for tonight. Thanks for this church. Thanks for your word. And thank you most of all, God, for you. We are grateful. We're grateful for the families that you've given us. And whatever that human biological family looks like, we are certainly grateful tonight for the family of the body of Christ. Thanks for giving us to each other. Thanks for the Mears. Thanks for the Dietrichs tonight. And thank you so much for Jesus in your name. Amen.